man, so good to see all of you. Happy New Year, everyone. I've been actually off for the last couple of weeks, uh, staycationing like most of you, uh, and uh, just enjoying my family and kind of a little bit of respite at the end of a remodel. And yeah, it's been, been great, but I am so glad to be here with all of you uh, today. Uh, last week, uh, Tim gave a message kind of focusing on growth, Christian growth as a community uh, in a part, in a kind of the first part in, in what we're looking at is sort of vision moving forward for Door of Hope. And uh, I thought he did a great job of just talking about how um, we can be, what, what can be sort of the litmus test for moving toward maturity of, of how we need to be learners and people that are feeding on the word and people that are sharing the word with others. And, uh, and I thought it was a great, a really great message that set me up well for what I want to talk to you about today and then next, next week. And I, I think it's really important in the history of Door of Hope, we're 11 years old, is that we have to continually come back to the why of why we do what we do and what is it that we are supremely about. This has been a big conversation amongst the elders uh, and the staff, especially over the last couple months as we, you know, are, we're, we're coming up on a year in COVID and this has changed everything. I mean, a year ago today, you know, we had, I mean, one of the highest attendances we've ever had at Door of Hope. And now, you know, now you get 50 to 100 people together and it's like so exciting. It's a win. Uh, which before would have been, I would have gone home so depressed and turned in my resignation. Uh, and, and, and it really speaks to really what Door of Hope's history. We have been a church that has put a tremendous amount of emphasis on our Sunday gatherings because uh, we see the Sunday gathering as, as an, a great opportunity for witness to the city. Uh, and the, kind of the two sort of uh, like foundations for Door of Hope has been our community groups and our Sunday gatherings. And those two realities of how we kind of have built it off of Acts chapter 2 and they, they gather daily uh, in the temple and from house to house and we've kind of have seen that as sort of the structure but, but everything has changed and, and the thing that I think we have to think about in the midst of all of this transition uh, which I know can be quite discouraging and, and, and can feel overwhelming and we're all wondering if anything's ever going to go back to normal. We don't know what normal is except what we're experiencing right now. And so we have to, we have to learn to adapt because this I know for sure, the mission of Jesus is not changed because of COVID. <laughs> and so it's really important for us to answer what is the church to be about? We actually have to ask the question of what is the mission of the church? What has Jesus instructed us to do? And I want to just give you a passage. It's going to be kind of the foundation uh, for the next two weeks. And it's 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 14 through 21. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 14 through 21. For Christ's love compels us. So the Apostle Paul states in this beautiful passage the motivation for all of his apostolic activity, the church planting, the continual evangelism, the willingness to suffer, uh, which he suffered much 
for Jesus. In fact, Jesus even said to Ananias before Paul's, Saul's transformation into the apostle Paul was, I have chosen him to be a witness to the Gentiles and he will suffer much for my name's sake. And Paul says here, for the love of Christ compels us. I am motivated and willing to suffer because I know what it's like to be loved by God and I know how much God loves humanity. And he says, because we are convinced, and this is here's the thing, we know the love of Christ and it's what compels us because we are convinced that one, that is Jesus, died for all and therefore all have died. There, Paul is getting into that, that strange paradoxical reality of the gospel and it's in the work of Jesus upon the cross working its way forward and backward in time becoming a continual and perpetual event of God's redemptive purposes and he says and he died for all that those who live should no longer live for themselves but for him who died for them and was raised again so from now on, we regard no one from a worldly point of view. We aren't judging people based upon the standards of the world any longer. We are judging the world in the light of the gospel. Everything is seen through the lens of Jesus' redemptive work. And he says, though once we regarded Christ in this way, and he's saying, once I didn't believe that Jesus was the son of God or the redeemer of the world. He goes, but we do so no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old has gone, the new is here. All of this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ. There is the saving work of Jesus, but notice what happens, and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. What is the responsibility of the church? Is that we who have been reconciled by Jesus, reconciled back into right relationship with God have been blessed, given uh, this beautiful reward as well as a responsibility to become the very conduits of that reconciliation. So powerful. And he says, he says this, that God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them. And he has committed to us this message of reconciliation. God is reconciling the world to himself. I just want you guys to note that in Jesus, not counting people's sins against them. This is why Door of Hope puts a supreme amount of energy into the proclamation of the gospel of grace because it's so counterintuitive. We are continually getting what we don't deserve, which is God's gracious mercy, which is new every day. I love this. And he has committed us to the message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors, as though God were making his appeal through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. One of my favorite passages in scripture is the, the strange and mysterious proclamation that Jesus in working out the redemption of humanity somehow took into himself 
our brokenness, our rebellion, and made it his own so that we could be liberated from the crippling effects of our own depravity, which declares over human existence that we cannot save ourselves. This is the essence of the gospel. It's the essence of what it is that we are called to be. Jesus said to his disciples when he ascended, he says, he goes, I have chosen you that you might be witnesses to the ends of the world in the, in the first chapter of Acts. You're going to be my witnesses. When the Spirit comes on you in power, you will be my witnesses. In the Great Commission, he says, he goes, all power and authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. I want you to go now and to make disciples, teaching them to remember all that I have said to you and baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. There's this, this, the great commission connected with this concept, this continual concept of what it means to be witnesses. If we want to know what the church is to be supremely about, and believe me, the church can often be about a lot of things except the thing that it's supremely supposed to be about. The supreme responsibility of the church is to be a signpost that points to Jesus. Jesus said, if I be lifted up, I will draw all people to myself. That we can be broken, messy, sinful people, but we are saints because we have been reconciled by the Son. And that sainthood produces in us not a, I am now better than everyone else. It actually creates a servanthood spirit that continually wants to elevate Jesus, but because we know whether the world knows it or not, because we know that the whole world lies under the sway of the wicked one and is blinded by its sin, is that we are lifting up Jesus so that people can see that they were created for him and their joy and their happiness is dependent upon a reconciled relationship with their creator. This is the responsibility of the church, is that we are to be a witness to the living Christ and his gospel, his good news. We're not giving good advice. We are telling people something that has already been done. We don't mess with the message. If you come to Door of Hope, you're like, I've heard this message before. I'm not, I am not paid to give you a new message. <laughs> I am paid to creatively proclaim the same message every single week. And that message is that on your worst day, Jesus is crazy about you. That that message is, is that God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. That message is that if anyone be in Christ, they are a new creation. The old has passed away and the new has come. That message is, is that God does not need us, but he has chosen to not exist without us. And that is a mystery that we will proclaim at Door of Hope and will continue to make the central purpose. In other words, Door of Hope will continue to be a place that speaks Jesus. That's what we're about. And, and because of that, I think it's important because COVID has really sabotaged a lot of words in our vocabulary. And one of the words that's been sabotaged by COVID is the word witness. Because often, even in my com conversations with other pastors in the city, 
uh, and, and even w- with staff and with the elders is that we're constantly asking the question of how do we function as a church, fulfill that commission, be that witness, continually pushing. We don't think that Jesus has given us like this is a, this is a pause on the great commission until, until the pandemic passes. Like that's, I don't think that this is like a year of jubilee for us, okay? Because I don't see many people practicing jubilee. I see people bummed out and just saying, I, just, I, I literally just saw a sign at my, one of my favorite food carts the other day. It just said, we're closed. It was like a week before Christmas until, until 21 because they just gotten broken into um, uh, like the week before. And they said, 2020 could not be worse. And it was just like, basically, we're just going to hibernate until this passes and then we're going to come back. I mean, that is kind of the spirit of many in this time of what I call COVID exhaustion. Uh, and, and, but it's created a, a great c- confusion amongst the church because it has challenged our idea of what the word witness means. Because I believe optics has hijacked a gospel understanding of witness. And what I mean by that is witness now is used to talk about, well, we can't do this because we don't want to be a poor witness to the city. We don't want to do this because that will communicate this. And we're constantly worried, how can I share the gospel with people when I'm told I can't even be around people? And all of these things creates a, a tremendous amount of confusion. And, and I just want to tell you that I don't necessarily have all the answers for this, but I think it's really good to vocalize that, that, that challenge. But I promise you that this has not taken Jesus by surprise. And I absolutely believe in the core of my being that we are not meant to move from the mission. If anything, I believe COVID is actually putting Door of Hope back on the right, the right movement forward. And this is the thing. When Door of Hope began, the initial vision was this, is that I'd come from multiple mega churches, huge, huge churches. Uh, I'd worked at three churches that were anywhere between 2,500 to 6,000 people. And Darcy and I, coming to faith late in life and coming from very urban, kind of our 20s were all urban center of Portland and Seattle, like we knew that Portland, especially the Bohemian East Side at the time, which changed dramatically, sort of lost some of that gritty edge. Although this year has really brought Portland back to some serious grittiness, hasn't it? Uh, and uh, it's, like we, it's like we lost everything that makes Portland awesome and we're just left with the grittiness. That's what it feels like. Uh, but I remember, th- we remember talking about it and we were just, we were, Darcy and I were just reflecting on this this week as I was preparing this message, is that when we initially began, the vision was like nobody, no, no young kid, which we knew, if you want to see a movement happen, you need young people. And, and we're like, they don't want to go to a slick megachurch. They, they don't want super over-the-top production. They'll just see it as like, oh, that doesn't feel right. Or they'll, just, it'll, they'll immediately feel like there'll be a, a certain sarcasm and cynicism that kind of sets in. And, and, and besides that, there were no buildings in Portland that would even allow for a megachurch, like in the city proper. 
And so, what, so I began to, to post ideas. I'm like, Darce, we love spaces, beautiful spaces. <laughs> We've come, we got saved, and then we immediately found ourselves in like the, the you know, the, the outworkings of the mega church that takes over the Kmart shopping mall in, in the suburbs. And we're like, we don't want that. Even aesthetically, it violates our sensibility. Um, so, and there's all these empty churches all over Portland. They're everywhere. What would it look like if we could get our hands on some of these churches, restore them, and see reconciliation happen in these neighborhoods. And how does it happen in those neighborhoods by reconciled people actually filling these churches, being an influence for the gospel in that neighborhood? Because I like to say of a city, the city is the same as, 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 a, as a person. It's saved the same way from the inside out. There has to be a, a, an internal presence to bring real change to it. And so we began to think about what would it look like to have Door of Hope churches throughout the city. We just didn't have really an idea of how to do that. We just knew that that sounded like that's what I want to be part of. And people would ask me, do you want to be a pastor? And I would always be reluctant to say yes, because that wasn't my dream. My dream was just to be a part of a movement that saw the gospel take over a city that was considered the most unchurched city in the United States. That desire, that impulse has not changed in me. Uh, I'm happy to be a pastor, but what I'm really excited about is seeing the saints equipped to do the work of the ministry, to see a revolution, a spiritual revolution in the city of Portland and beyond. That's what I want to be a part of. And so we've been playing with kind of a vision statement. Our, we have a mission statement that's very clarified through our structure paper and our pillars, which we're going to consider briefly today because I think it's always important to go. And, and mission and vision, are we can get them confused. Mission is what you are currently doing. Uh, but vision is, is where are you going. And both of them are connected directly to the why. The why is because we believe that the scriptures are crystal clear. The church is to be supremely about fulfilling the witness of the gospel of Jesus Christ to the ends of the world. For Jesus will return when the fullness of the Gentile has come in and the gospel has gone around the world. And we believe we are to play a part in that redemptive story. And the world is not gonna get better. We're not, we don't believe that we're here to make the world a better place so Jesus will come back. We should play our parts as citizens. I'm talking about what is the responsibility of the church. I'm not talking about what your views are on environmentalism or politics or race or any of those things. I'm saying the supreme purpose of the church. Not that those other things don't matter and it's not that the church can't even be engaged in those things, but they are secondary to the witness of the gospel of Jesus. And I just wanna be really clear on that because I never want anyone to be duped into being a part of a church community. If you were here for other reasons than the gospel, and the gospel is the thing you're not interested in, this might not be the church for you, or maybe you just haven't met Jesus yet, and I pray that you meet him today. Uh, but this is what we're going to be about. And so we've been kind of toying around with sort of a vision statement, and it's still in flux, and language shifts, and I saw Greg back there, where there's questions around verbiage, and, but I just want to kind of give you a, just a sort of a big picture vision, and, and it'll shift, but just to kind of, just to begin priming the pump, to get you guys thinking about what this is. And we'll look at this more explicitly next week. Um, but really, the kind of the, the, the first pass, this was just like off the top of my head, if I was to say, what is, 
What do I believe? And this, I can, just, I can at least speak for myself right now. That what the vision of Door of Hope is, what my hope is uh, for Door of Hope as a movement is that Door of Hope is an urban evangelistic church planting movement with an emphasis on grace. And really all that, all that saying is that we believe the best way to see people saved, to see believers grow into maturity, to see Jesus proclaimed in the city transformed is that we're gonna see that, that the best way to get all of that is to continually plant churches throughout the city. And it just brought us right back to where we began when we started Door of Hope. It's kind of sad because we began that process with launching Door of Hope Northeast two weeks before COVID hit. Uh, but the vision hasn't changed. If anything, this is a great time for us to be actually thinking robustly on how do we begin to move toward that and how do we help everyone catch a vision for that. Because you know what the definition of a movement is and why I like the word movement. Movement's a little less nebulous uh, and a little less amb ambiguous than revival. First of all, no one can start a revival. I, only God can. I just think that we have the ability to prevent them. <laughs> so, uh, so I think that revival is something that God brings, but we need to be a faithful church that is continually praying and, and, and witnessing and loving people in this city in the name of Jesus, pointing this city to Jesus again and again, trusting that God will bring about a movement where people are transformed. I believe with my whole heart, if we lift Jesus up as a community, not me singularly, but we as a community lift Jesus up, he will draw all people to himself. And so I like that word movement because movement is actually something a little more tangible and it very much is in line with Jesus himself. Uh, Jesus' first words to his disciples was what? Come and what? Follow me. That the Christian life, I like the word movement because it speaks to the fact that the Christian life is never meant to be static. And that's the thing that is the most discouraging to me about this last year of COVID is that I feel like the churches, including us to a certain degree, kind of all went into just maintenance mode. We've got to survive. It created a scarcity mentality. We're, are we going to be able to financially st stand this? Um, we, we're not even thinking about reaching the lost because all we're really concerned about is who is who is and isn't a part of Door of Hope anymore because we can't tell. And I just know that God has not called us to live with a spirit of fear, but he has given us a spirit of power and of love and of self-control. And I want us to begin thinking about and pushing into, I want to draw from you uh, as a community, just how can you be a part? How has God uniquely wired you and gifted you to be a participant in this unbelievable privilege that we have to point people to the living Christ, to be a part of people going from death to life? Because we're dealing with eternal destinies here and we cannot lose sight of that. You think COVID's scary? I think hell is scary. I think falling into the hands of the living God who is a consuming fire is far more pressing. And so it is that we work toward, it's not that we're to be careless, it's not that we're not to be cautious, it's not that we aren't to be caring, but we are to be a people that calmly, confidently, respectfully move into our communities and call people to know 
the one who can relieve them of their anxieties and their fears. Not that he's going to relieve them of their problems, but that they could have someone that they would know it will never leave them nor forsake them. That's what we're proclaiming. And that's what Paul is saying here. And I think it's really important for us. And this is why we have always anchored what we do at Door of Hope to these four pillars. And I like to just do them every year, think about them in a new way. And I want to think about them in terms of movements. And the first movement for us as a church is the movement that is upward. Our first responsibility is not to come to church to get what we can get for ourselves and our own personal growth, but we as a church focus our intention upward. And this is the cross. The cross is the first pillar of Door of Hope. It's the first movement and it is an upward movement. You see, the, the church can no longer be confused about its primary aim. We speak Jesus, and the crucifixion is the touchstone of Christian authenticity. And the reason that we always connect Jesus to the cross is, first of all, because it's biblical. Je- Paul himself says, we preach Christ crucified. Jesus' own language, even when he's calling disciples to come and follow him, he says, pick up your cross and follow me. It's what I always refer to as the good death. It's actually the working title of the book that I'm writing right now. And, that, and, and this, this whole idea is that for us as Christians, there are things that we are called to die to, but they are good deaths because it is through that death that we find resurrection life, real freedom. We die when we meet Jesus to our innocence because, and what we discover is forgiveness. We, we die to self-control and what we discover is real liberation. I mean, there are a multitude of examples of what I call to the, the good death, but this is what separates a orthodox, that is Bible-believing church uh, I, would, I would actually say we should not give up the word evangelical just because it's been politicized because it's a beautiful word and I refuse to let go of it, especially because I'm evangelistic because it just means good news. Um, and so I, I think that an, a, a, a true evangelical faith is a faith that is, derives its meaning from a gospel-centeredness that is a beautiful thing and it is, it, it, you can't talk about the gospel without talking about the cross. You know, there are lots of churches throughout Portland that talk about Jesus every week, but they have reduced him to merely a good teacher who was enlightened from the past, who gave some interesting teachings that would be good if we would all adopt. But I would argue that apart from the cross, the teachings of Jesus just further damn us because they're impossible. I'm like, anyone that just promotes Jesus as a good teacher, I'm like, I am absolutely convinced you've never read his teachings because I don't know about you, but I can't do what he taught apart from his spirit working in me. That's kind of the point. It's the impossible possibility. This is why the cross is so important for us. It it, it centers us. It gives us us an understanding of what the gospel is actually about. And it's about Jesus. There is no God. You You want to know what God is like? We look to Jesus. There is no God behind Jesus' back. Jesus said, if you have seen me, you have seen the Father. I, I like this passage. Uh, I was been reading, rereading some of Bart's work, and I, he's really dense and hard to understand, and so this is my interpretation, my paraphrasing 
of Bart's interpretation of scripture. So it may not be trustworthy at all. It's already three, three levels down. Uh, but this is a, a dumb guy trying to take a really smart guy's thoughts about the beautiful, simple gospel and, 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 and make it applicable for us. But it, this is my attempt. I, and I think, I, I think that this is so true. In Jesus, God's plan for us is disclosed. God's judgment on us is fulfilled. God's deliverance of us is accomplished. God's gift to us is present in fullness. God's claim on and promise to us is declared. In, God, in him, God has joined himself to us. And so humanity exists for his sake. It is by him, that is Jesus Christ, and for him and to him that the universe is created as a theater for God's relationship with us in our relationship with God. This is why we have to remember that the whole human life of Jesus is one of saving significance. It brings us into right relationship with God, with others, and, and ultimately with ourselves, which brings me to the second movement, which is an outward movement, and it is the one that has been the most impacted by this last year, and that is an outward movement, which is our second pillar, community. Community is so necessary, and we have felt this in all of its extreme measures over this last year. We are made in the image of a God who is a community within himself. One God, three persons. God is eternally relational, and there cannot be relationship unless there's someone to have relationship with. God is a community within himself. This is a powerful Trinitarian idea, but it plays into what it means to be made in the image of God. The first thing said about humanity in the garden is it is not good that man be alone. And yet we have been pushed into isolation and I would argue that isolation is one of the greatest enemies of the church. It is in isolation that we find ourselves under deep spiritual attack, times of isolation. I always say that that is the time when the enemy comes in for the kill. It's isolation where we begin to become internally and inwardly focused. I, I'm not talking about the spiritual discipline of solitude. And solitude's become very popular, um, it, uh, a very popular practice again within, within a lot of churches uh, due to the intense overload of information that comes our way due to social media and all that. And I don't have an issue with solitude, but I wish the same emphasis would be given to confession because <laughs> it's fine if you want to be alone but it doesn't do you any good to be alone if you're hiding in your sin <laughs> and not confessing it to anyone uh, and that's another conversation for another day all I can say is this is that whatever time alone you spend it is always meant to be refreshed for the purpose of being poured out and remember Jesus was never truly alone he went to be alone with his father he knew how to practice real intimacy with God. It's not good for us to be alone. And so it is that we have seen the, the, the detrimental impact. And this is one of the problems with, an, with a, something like COVID is that we have become so focused on protecting people from COVID that we're not even paying attention 
to all of the other ways that it is impacting what it means to be human. I was talking with a sixth grade school teacher that goes to Door of Hope. She said over half of her class is failing right now. Failing due to kids just cannot do it. They can't seem to do school on Zoom. And it, it's not the same as homeschooling because you, you have, your, you have a, your parent as a teacher, or however that works. It's very different than sitting on a, on a computer looking at a screen of six other students. My, it's killing, it's just, just killing my daughter. She hates it. She's a true extrovert. For her to be with people is life. It's how she likes to learn and to learn on a computer in her bedroom. She just like, she just finds it so depressing. And, and I'm seeing this impact and how isolating it is for so many kids. And this is a real impact. And we've got to think creatively on how to, to, to work in this season where we are forced to distance ourselves from one another. I mean, scripture says to greet each other with a holy kiss. Now we're afraid to even do hand bumps. I mean, it's a, you know, so I'm bringing back the kiss today. I'll wear my mask. <laughs> so, but, it, but it's true. We need, we need touch. We need connection. And so I just encourage you, obviously it's going to be a long time before we can get back to normal with Sunday gatherings and all that. But you can be in community groups right now. And if you're not in a community group, if Sunday's been the way that you connect at church, it's time to make a change. <laughs> it's time to, in, you've, you, I can't make you connect, but I can plead with you and encourage you and tell you that it is so important. This can't just be a time where you just watch sermons online and come to church once. And I know there's a lot of you watching on TV right now. And believe me, we, we know. You, if we were to do a survey, it'd be about half of the church would say, I will never go to church until, uh, th this is the extreme. One side will say, I will never go to church until I don't have to wear a mask. The other side will say, I will never go to church until there's a cure. The issue is, is that that 50% and everything in between just won't come to church while this is going on. And then there's you. And, and, and then there's like, like, well, those people obviously don't care. They're going to go to church. Like, this, it creates this kind of these internal narratives that, that are actually, I, I think, kind of part of the, the issue in the way that the enemy is playing with our isolation from one another. And I just want to say we feel committed. We feel a deep conviction that church needs to be happening. We actually see it as an essential service. And we think that we can do it responsibly and in a healthy fashion. We have not, at this point, to our knowledge, have not had a single person get COVID at Door of Hope. We thought someone did. We thought that someone did who may or may not be in this room right now. Uh, but it ended up being a, it ended up being a, a, a false positive. Uh, but I think that th this is the reality. We, we are being safe and we're going to continue to be respectful of uh, how can we protect life. But we believe that spiritual life is an essential service. And think about the ways, I mean, just like there's selective sanctification, there is selective living right now. It's like we turn off the filter that says this isn't safe behavior when we go in the grocery store. It's like weird. It's like we have ways of coping, don't we? Um, and so, so we want to continue. We want to push back where it's healthy to, to say we cannot be controlled by fear. We need to be controlled by love. And love will tell us to be cautious where we've been irresponsible. But love will also tell us to push in where we've been avoidant and using COVID as an excuse. And so I just want to encourage you, pay attention to that. Pay attention. Are you trusting the spirit in this time? Are your fears beyond what are healthy? Or are you 
like I've been at times, cavalier and just disrespectful of the idea that anyone could get sick. And it's like, it's not going to happen to me, so who cares? But that's, we can't live like that. But our witness is not defined primarily by how we respond to COVID. Our witness is what do we do with Jesus and how are we following him today? And his mission stays the same. That's my point. We need one another. We need community because the best way and the reason we are committed to our gatherings is because we've seen every week visitors come to service. Is there anyone here today that has never been to Door of Hope before? Anyone? Look how many hands there are. In a, in a church that only can have 100 people, that's, that's a lot of people. And, and the reality is there just aren't a lot of churches that are even open right now. And we believe that people need to be able to come and hear the gospel. So that's what, thank you for raising your hand. And we're glad that you're here. It's awesome. Uh, we want people to meet the living Christ. That is of supreme importance to us. And so we will do all that we can within the guidelines of being safe and healthy to do that. Uh, and and that, that is our goal. But you need to be in community. It's just, it's that important. I just encourage you once again, if Door of Hope is your home church, you're not in a community group, get in one. Uh, we need more leaders. We need more people. I think everyone got burnt out because we kept community groups going when we were truly shut down. Um, but we, we, we want to see the needs of the people met in the church. The third reality is our simplicity pillar. And this, I would call this an inward movement. And simplicity becomes kind of the guiding pillar. This is that movement internally that consistently asks the question, are we keeping the main thing the main thing? I, I think that, that Paul's words in 2 Corinthians uh, 1 verse 12 when he says, for our boast is this, the testimony of our conscience that we behaved in the world with simplicity and godly sincerity not by the earthly wisdom, but by the grace of God and supremely so toward you. This is about getting rid of the, the, the world's filter by which we so often define our existence and learning how to look at the world through the filter of Jesus, through the filter of the gospel, through the filter of the scriptures. It's actually analyzing and, and thinking through critically what is the world trying to say to us and how does it have its grip upon human existence and how do we engage with that because we can't protect ourselves from the world we're not called to hibernate the church is not a place where we become cloistered from that incredible pagan influence and if you were truly worried about pagan influence you would not live in portland um, so, like, you could go to, I don't know, North Dakota or something, but I promise you, with technology where it is, you can't escape the influence of the secular, godless, materialistic age. It's everywhere. It is in your bedroom. It's in your hand. It's in your back pocket. It is the reality of what we are confronted with in this technological age, and it's why we so desperately need to be a people that learn how to make the main thing the main thing. Simplicity for us at the church protects us from two tendencies in the, in the church, and that is idolatry on one side and, and legalism on the other. We don't want to be loose with the gospel. We don't believe that Jesus saves us and then leaves us to our own devices. Do what you want. We believe in the sanctification of the believer. We believe that, that we are sanctified by the power of the Spirit in the context of community. That's what it means when 
Paul says to the Philippian church, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. We need one another to work out that salvation. But we also, uh, we also are not about legalism. This door of hope is not overly prescriptive. We're not going to give you like, here's four steps today to have a better marriage. And here's three things to do to make your boss happy. If the text dramatically states something practical, we'll state it. I believe that the responsibility of the pulpit is to continually bring people to the cross because if you get your center right, it will work its way out into the parameters of existence. The gospel does address every arena of life and the scriptures do too. And those things will be addressed appropriately, but it never in disconnection from the gospel. And so I believe that these two realities, idolatry and legalism, have a real tendency to come into the church when we lose sight of our center. And that is why we keep simplicity um, as a central tenet for the church. The final movement is a forward movement. If the cross is upward, that's keeping Jesus lifted up. And if community is outward and simplicity is inward, the fourth movement is really it's that mission component. And it is that, it is that reality that the church is the only organization in world history that exists for the good of those outside of its doors. That this is not the end. This is the celebration of the continuing story of God's advancement into his world, reconciling all things to himself. God has moved in our city through the witness of this community, but it is an instant death to begin to rely on past graces. We have to continually adapt to how the city's changing. We have to continually look at how are we effectively reaching people. And it's true, Tim pointed something out. All of us are different. Every one of you bring different gifts and different strengths uh, to the church. And that's, that's true of the staff and the elders. My personality is that I'm a person and it's probably that kind of apostolic or prophetic nature. I, 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 I don't consider myself, I don't even like the title apostle, that's way too. All I mean by that is that constant pioneering mindset. I need to consistently be moving, creating, I'm think, always thinking forward. Well, that personality type is necessary for the church, but it can't be the only personality type because I'm always way more concerned about who's not here. And people are like, don't you care about me? Of course I do. Uh, but I, it's just how God's wired me. It's that evangelistic impulse. I just, I want to see people reached. I want to constantly be pushing the church out. And we need people that are constantly looking at the needs of people that are here. And together, that holistic vision is how we can actually reach the whole city. And one of our ideas is, is looking at, okay, we take on another church and we start doing this in neighborhoods and, and maybe I help get it started but we go with a person that's going to be the lead pastor of that church. And, and we don't know. We're just playing with lots of different ideas of like, but it's so exciting to even think about. And what I want is for all of you to be excited about it. I want you to feel that actually your sanctification is dependent upon the church you're a part of fulfilling its God-given mission, its vision, that we would all see that the thing that's going to cause us to grow is when we realize that the primary focus should not be our own personal growth, but actually our personal growth happens when we find ourselves far more concerned about Jesus and those around us. I believe that with all of my heart. I think it's a great misstep in the church when the church makes the gospel all about you and Jesus. You find Jesus, you meet Jesus, and you are changed by Jesus only when you get in step with his mission 
and it becomes about those who Jesus is trying to reach and save. You will grow into his likeness as you allow yourself to be used by the Holy Spirit for, that, for those purposes. It's how I found myself in this position of ministry, nothing I ever, if anyone asked me when I got saved if I ever wanted to be a pastor, I'd be like, no, I want to be Ziggy Stardust. Just, I just want to be a Jesus-following Ziggy Stardust now. Um, I don't want to be a pastor. I don't want to be responsible for any of that. Still in the flesh, I'm like, I don't want to be responsible for any of that. But the Lord calls us and he sanctifies us and he uses each of us right where he has us. And that's the real question. And I pray that Door of Hope continues to inspire you to be a person that has your eyes focused outward to a world that is lost and gasping for grace. May we be a people that reflect the love of Jesus, that we might see a movement in our city that would bring real, permanent, lasting transformation. Not because of anything we did, but because of our yieldedness to the one who does that work through us as we surrender ourselves to his power. May Jesus be lifted up and exalted to this church. Next week, we're going to get into how do we engage with what's going on right now. And it's going to be a little bit of a harder conversation because to be about the gospel and to be about Jesus means there's a lot of things, good things that we can't be about. And I think it's important to sometimes draw lines in the sand because we want people to be committed to what God is doing in and what I believe he wants to do in and through this church. So love you guys. So glad that you're here today. Let's pray. Jesus, we love you. And we give you this time and we ask by your Holy Spirit that you would move in our hearts and in our minds, giving us a fresh vision for this city in which you have placed us, that you would give us a fresh vision for our neighbors, for our family. I pray you give us fresh vision for our community. Lord, for those that have just found themselves kind of wearied by even trying to figure out how to do church in this time and or maybe for those that are watching today who've been in, in and out and disconnected I pray that you would just meet them where they're at and you would just rekindle their first love I pray Lord for those that have been lukewarm that you would inflame their hearts for those that have been sad I pray that you would give them joy for those that are anxious I pray that you would give them peace in all of it, Lord, I pray that what you would give us all is just more of yourself. We need you today, and we love you. And so we pray these things in your name. Amen.